Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Critical Oxygen Podcast, where we help you optimize your physiology and maximize your athletic potential. I'm your host, Phil Batterson, and today we're joined by continuing guest host, Andy St. Germain, where we're going to talk about predictors of performance, but from a functional fitness and CrossFit perspective. Andy, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Phil. Excited to be back. Yeah, yeah. After our first conversation, I was like, oh, man, Andy is going to be such a great uh, you know, wealth of knowledge and wisdom in terms of like the coaching aspects of things and, and from the athletic side of things, right? Like you were trying to compete at a high level in CrossFit and getting that perspective, I think for these people who are potentially, you know, kind of on that like regionals bubble and, you know, like even into like the better, like the games athletes and everything, like they could hopefully take a little bit, uh, out of this. Um, and just, you know, just in general, uh, you know, I think, something that I've always thought about is I personally think CrossFit is an endurance sport. It just requires a hell of a lot of strength, right? <laughs> like, yep. and, and when you're, when you're looking at CrossFit, right, the, the, the events other than, you know, like the max lifts and stuff are generally anywhere three to, I mean, four hours, right? Three mm -hmm. minutes to four hours, which mm -hmm. again, you know, that would be classified as an endurance sport. It's just the requirements of this endurance sport are a little bit different compared to, you know, say, uh, the monostructural, mm. uh, sports like running, cycling, mm -hmm. tri-structural sports like mm -hmm. triathlon. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm, I really think we have an opportunity to expand on what the endurance communities research like the research that's coming out of the endurance field and then uh, trying to apply it a little bit more towards crossfit and obviously mm -hmm. it's not a one-to-one -one application um there's there's so many differences between crossfit and you know like these monostructural sports mm -hmm. but i do think that you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. you can take the principles that are being learned from sports all across the world put them into uh you know your your crossfit sports and uh, or your CrossFit performance or functional fitness and get more out of it. Right. Cause at the end of the day, the whole goal is to improve performance, especially if you're trying to be an athlete. Mm -hmm. So why not take things that have been established from other sports to be successful, put them in, in a way that is similar in terms of application and adaptation, and then see what you can get, like take away from it. Absolutely. That's one of the things that I think, uh, really hinders a lot of uh, CrossFitters from reaching their, their fullest potential is looking at CrossFit as an endurance sport. I 100% agree that it's an, it's an endurance sport. And there's obviously a lot of other variables when it comes to gymnastics, weightlifting, a lot of other things that come in play. But a lot of people treat uh, CrossFit from a training perspective as this like, you know, uh, more like anaerobic sport where it's like high intensity output, uh, really short duration. And that's a huge piece of CrossFit, and you have to be able to express that. Um, but if the underlying fact of all of it is it's like it's an endurance sport, and most people right. aren't training in that way. It's just like all training is anaerobic, high intensity, go, go, go. And again, there's value to that, and that's a piece of the sport. But I've found that as soon as I start when I get athletes in and then I start gearing them and, 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 and training them like an endurance athlete, it's, it's astonishing what their performance does in such a short time. And that's one thing that uh, Chris Henshaw is, uh, has really brought like aerobic capacity and this sort of endurance mm -hmm. lens to CrossFit. 
And he started working with uh, some really high level CrossFitters. You know, at one time it was Rich Froning, Jason Khalifa, who were at the top of the top. And I've listened to interviews where he talks about um, his experience with working with them. Uh, and, and one thing that he said to start out was like, he was so scared. He didn't want to like mess them up. They're already at such a high level. He didn't want to come in there and do something to, to, to make things, uh, to kind of veer that path. But he, when he mm-hmm. started doing a lot more aerobic capacity work, every metric of theirs went up. Their strength went up. Their high intensity stuff went up. Obviously, the aerobic capacity stuff went up. And I think this sort of like endurance aerobic work is one thing that a lot of CrossFit programs are missing. And I think it's hard for people to uh, internalize that like, hey, if you do this longer stuff, just because of the effect that it has on just your tissue, your mitochondria, like it can affect positively everything. And people mm-hmm. don't see that. That's like, hey, go do aerobic work. And maybe it's not strength work, but it can positively impact your strength work. Right. Um, and I think right. that concept is hard for people to see. So it's like they just look at traditional styles of CrossFit, which is, you know, six, seven, 12 minute AMRAPs or Metcons where it's like, go, go, go. And then you collapse on the floor afterwards. And then yeah. that's what makes up the majority of training. And there needs to be time where that's happening. But the more that we can have this endurance, or at least I've found the more that we can have this endurance base across the, like all year long, and it, it just is going to kind of be favored how much we're doing based on the time of season, it really makes people so much more well-rounded and better CrossFit athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with, with that statement where it's like in, in endurance sport, we or coaches in general do a lot of it's it goes from it's a lot of zone two training so like easy aerobic work and then sprinkled intermittently like once or twice a week you'll have a high intensity workout so any good coach that you see who's an endurance coach is always going to have some semblance of that Mm. format it changes based on the athlete it changes based on what they need to develop Mm -hmm. but most athletes follow that easy day, easy day, hard day, easy day, easy day, hard day, mm-hmm. and something along those lines, however long it takes you to recover. And it makes sense because it allows you to keep an athlete consistent and continuously progressing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with CrossFit. I see so many people who are actually fairly good CrossFitters, like say within my gym, mm-hmm. that will come in, but the requirement is okay, we need to go hard every single day. And the problem with that is that it's hard to recover Mm -hmm. from that sort of stuff. So you're constantly digging yourself into a hole. So when you first get in, you know, these, these, you know, 21 year olds, maybe a little bit younger who are, you know, in undergrad who are just like essentially just like living in baths of testosterone and recovery hormones and all of that sort of stuff. Like, you know, they, they'll last for, I don't know, three, four months and then all of a sudden they're hitting a wall where it's like, man, I'm just plateauing. I don't really want to come into workout, like anything like that. It's like, yeah, because you're burnt out because you haven't taken the time to recover in between those hard workouts. But, you know, if we're, if we're talking from a, a general health and wellness standpoint versus a performance standpoint, those are two totally different conversations. But if you're trying to improve your performance, you have to know when to hit the gas pedal, know when to, know when to back off of that gas pedal. And I think knowing that balance and being a little bit more on the conservative side of things 
is going to be more beneficial in the long run. It's going to keep you progressing longer. And the longer you progress, the more volume and, uh, you know, just adaptations that you're going to be able to build up. So ultimately that will, uh, you know, result in you actually having good performance. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be, you know, it's not a quick fix where, you know, if, if you really wanted to, if you wanted, if you wanted to get somebody as quickly in shape as possible, didn't care about, you know, their, their health and longevity in the sport or anything like that, you would just have them do, you know, like Metcons every single day, as long as they can recover in between them. And they probably get better over the first three months. Mm-hmm. But then, but then after that, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a luck of luck of the dice where they're probably not going to continue to get better. If anything, they'll probably get sick and injured. Then they're going to have, you know, like two or three months of pretty poor quality training. And, you know, that's all, if you would have just reduced, you know, the intensity just a little bit, you would have been able to continue to stack on, you know, continued uh, improvements in performance. Absolutely. And that's, I think where, you know, even from just like a longevity standpoint is like the, the constant high intensity is like not only from this performance standpoint, but like the stress that it puts on your body, the stress that it puts on your nervous system, it doesn't allow for longevity and consistency because it really does injuries start to come up. People start to get sick. Um, and then they're coming in and they're already super depleted. So like, they're not, they're really giving like 60% of what they're even capable of in a session, just because they're so destroyed from the, the, the previous work that they've done. So that's that, and that kind of, for me, the way that I look at it as a coach that ties into a little bit of stuff like that we talked about on the last episode about the, 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 the mental aspect of things. And, and one thing I've found mm-hmm. with CrossFit is, uh, there is uh it breeds a certain type of population and it's people who like to work hard put their nose down and just like and get after it and there's uh there's neurological things that happen when you do that and i find that people Mm -hmm. really do get addicted to the high intensity stuff and and Mm -hmm. i've had people that it's like hey let's run some tests on you we'll use the moxie and figure out like what you're limiting in and then it'll show that they need more, more slower aerobic work. And it's very difficult for them to do that. And it's like, they're literally, right. uh, they're addicted to the high intensity and that feeling of like exhaustion and the dopamine that comes with that. And it's like, it becomes its own, it, it, its own thing there. So I really right. think like performance wise, but also longevity is having that, uh, having things super high intensity all the time, it it can really be detrimental to a program and an individual. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing about, you know, kind of sports science literature is that a lot of the times, you know, there's a four to six week intervention and they're doing like crazy amounts of, of hard workouts, right? It's like every other day and they're doing like a, like a VO two max workout. And we'll talk about the predictors of performance in just a second, but you know, it's, it's not sustainable to ask somebody to do that for longer, really than four to six mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those things where, and we, and that's something that I think we miss in terms of the nuances of these studies is they're like, well, the single best way to improve VO two max is by doing this style of training for four to six weeks. And you're like, yes, if you're just trying to improve that one variable, mm-hmm. but performance is based about upon a bunch of different yeah. variables that we're trying to perform. And we're trying to, again, like at the end of the day, like there's, there's principles of, of adaptation, right? You need consistency, specificity, and, and progression. Mm-hmm. Those are like kind of the three things that I always talk mm-hmm. about. If you're not able to stay consistent, it doesn't matter 
if your specificity and if your progression is there, because you're, I guess like maybe you could get away with it a little bit, but at the same time, it's like consistency rules everything. Um, so, so, you know, that's certainly a principle. I think that applies, you know, if like, if you have an individual who comes into your gym, right. And they only come once a week, they're a lot worse off than somebody who comes in every single day, Mm -hmm. but scales accordingly Mm -hmm. and, you know, is able like, you know, sometimes they go hard, you know, maybe once a week they go like, like, let's go, let's go see God. That's what I tell people. It's like, you know, at the, at the end of the workout, you're staring the, you know, the light that's shining down in the, in the face. Um, and maybe you don't have to go that hard because that, that is like really challenging, but you know, once a week go pretty hard and then the rest of the week scale accordingly, because you're just trying to absorb that intensity and that volume and those things that are happening. And just by doing that workout, you're getting, I don't, I can't make, I can't put a percentage on it, but 80 to 90% of, of the stimulus that you would get. If you went all out, mm-hmm. you're just mm-hmm. accumulating probably 80 to 90% less fatigue. Mm-hmm. 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 So, so yeah, so I think, I, I think, you know, that was, that, that was a long winded way of saying, and we're probably going to say this every single week on the, on the podcast is like, s- slow down, mm-hmm. absorb your training intensity, mm-hmm. know when to go hard and know when to back mm-hmm. off. Those mm-hmm. are like, that's, that's so key, especially in CrossFit where it's always just been preached mm-hmm. high intensity all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not sustainable in an ideal world, maybe, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's not, it's just not sustainable. Yeah. So let's, let's switch to kind of predictors of performance. Cool. So on, on the critical oxygen podcast, we've been talking about predictors of performance for endurance capacity. And what's really kind of come up is uh, VO2 max. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, VO2 max is your maximal amount of oxygen you can intake and consume at your muscle during high intensity exercise. So I say high intensity exercise to hopefully get people who are in the CrossFit space like, ooh, maybe this is kind of important for CrossFit, right? Um, we've already determined that CrossFit is probably more or less an endurance sport. So we can take these endurance performance predictors that were, you know, used on runners, cyclists, those sort of things, and maybe translate the the predictors of performance to CrossFit. It's not going to be a perfect one-to-one because CrossFit is very complicated, but you have your VO2 max, again, how big is your aerobic engine? Then you have your uh, second metabolic threshold. So the intensity of exercise where you go from something that's sustainable for 30 to 60 minutes to unsustainable. It'd be like if you were doing a Metcon for 20 or 30 minutes, it'd be whatever pace you could hold for that Metcon. Um, if you tried to go a little bit faster on that Metcon, you'd probably peter off and, and, and crash at about 10 or 15 minutes um, you know, within the workout, and then you'd have to slow down. And this is what I think a lot of people in terms of pacing have a tendency to do. They go balls to the wall for a little bit, and they're always they're above that that second threshold, right? So then 10, 15 minutes into the workout, their performance has to go way down. And once you've gone over, it's not like, oh, I just need to recover for a little bit and then I'll just be right back to it. It's I need to recover for a long period of time and then I can finally get my, you know, like my my sustainable power output back. Um, so that's the that's the second predictor of performance. And then efficiency or economy of movement. So how well do you move? doing a certain exercise. So, um, a perfect example of this that I talked to, um, with an, with another guy on the podcast was Matt Fraser, I think was probably the most efficient barbell cycler that has ever been in CrossFit. Maybe there might be a couple other examples, but 
he was so good at moving the barbell that it just seemed like it was nothing to him. That's a perfect example of efficiency. Or if you look at, um, like elite level runners running either the marathon or like, you know, the two mile 5k, 10k on the track, those guys look like they're just moving and it's nothing. So that's an example of efficiency or economy, having a very good ability to translate all the energy that's being broken down at your muscles into actual mechanical energy. So things to actually move the barbell, move your body, those sort of things. So those three kind of make up endurance performance. And Andy, I'd love to get your take on what do you, what do you think out of those three? Maybe the most important. And, and if so, like, why or why not? Cause I just, I just like to like to kind of pick your brain out. Well, that. that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I can say, well, I think it just depends on the individual on which one is most important. Uh, the thing that's, that really stands out for me is, uh, the efficiency of movement, because I can see how efficiency mm -hmm. of movement really does affect, uh, threshold and VO2 max. And what I've done through running a lot of people through tests with the Moxie is in order to be successful at CrossFit and really in endurance sports as well, there has to be this contract and relax sequence and rhythm mm -hmm. within movement. And that's just going to help. So blood flow and oxygen can keep getting to the tissue. And what I see a lot with CrossFitters that struggle with burning out or going too hard and just crashing early on in workouts is they have so much tension throughout their body and they don't have the ability to like when you're cycling a barbell like you were talking about or doing gymnastics is there's times where you're contracting and relaxing and it's like contract relax contract relax contract and that's going to allow fuel to continue to get to the system and what i see with a lot of uh crossfitters because of just the nature of the go 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 we're always heavy lifting there's a ton of contraction force and people will go into a workout mm -hmm. and when they're supposed to be even like I've seen people where they're resting, but they're just like under tension and they don't even realize it. Yeah. yeah. It's like this, it, it brings in like this somatic lens of, of training and like what the body's doing. And, and when people have a ton of tension in the body, which again, it's, it's all relative to like when people are wanting to get strong, we want tension. So it's like, that's where CrossFit mm -hmm. can become super difficult because there's there's principles of endurance sports that don't necessarily line up in line with principles of strength building, but they're both a part of the sport. So one thing mm -hmm. that I see, or is like going back to what I was saying earlier is like this sort of uh, efficiency of movement. It really does have an effect on the threshold and the VO2 max. So there's a piece where I mm -hmm. almost feel like, and the thing is, is like the coordination and efficiency of movement, I think is also one of the harder pieces to coach and to develop as well. Yes. Is because that's now we're looking at yes. like neurological muscle contractions. And, and that's one thing I see with CrossFitters is they will take, uh, they will take a load that's, you know, maybe 30%, even sometimes less. And the amount of contractile force that they're using is almost like a one rep max. So they're, they're, they're occluding right. and not allowing blood flow to get to the tissue. And they're using a load that's super light, but they burn out immediately. And it's like, they should be able to continue. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're less than 20% of your max here. You should be able to go for a while with that. 
But because of the mm-hmm. amount of contractions and going back to the coordination and the movement efficiency, it's not there. It doesn't, it doesn't allow them to continue to progress. So I really think, you know, that as I say this, I feel like I'm, I'm wrong. <laughs> but like the more that I put things in my head, I'm like, I almost feel like this efficiency of movement is maybe the most important because if, if we have that down and we have coordination and we can have the ability to contract and relax at the, at the right efforts, then it's like building VO2 max and building threshold is going to be that much easier. When I have people that can't yeah. do that, it's like, it's going to be very hard to build VO2 max and it's going to be very hard to build threshold if they're just always under tension. It's like, I'm never going to be able to get them to a place mm-hmm. where we're actually building that. They're just turning everything and in this more lactate uh, anaerobic area. So there's a piece where, you know, from a performance, like it's almost should be like VO2 max or your threshold, but it's like, I don't know. I think there's just such a huge piece to this, this coordination and efficiency of movement that if you don't have that, it's like, you're, you're going to really struggle in the sport. Mm-hmm. Man, <laughs> I, when, when I first asked you that question, I was like, oh, it's a combination of all three of them. You know, I take the, the very much like scientist researcher yeah. answer to things. But as you started to talk about that, I started to think about, you know, like the, the requirement for, for how much, how many different, you know, skills you have to have within CrossFit. It makes sense that if you're, it makes sense that if you're actually proficient in those movements, you're efficient in the way you're moving, where you can contract Mm -hmm. and then relax and contract Mm -hmm. and relax. And you're not, you know, over recruiting muscles because you're just so Mm -hmm. tense all the time. Um, that's going to, you know, be, be the first thing, right. And you, you know, Matt Fraser as an example, right. He was on the Olympic development team for weight, Olympic weightlifting. So how much time did he spend practicing just with like, like a broomstick and, you know, contracting, relaxing, contracting, relaxing. And, you know, or if you ever get like runners or, you know, like former runners and stuff, like those are the people who are typically really good at like those longer monostructural workouts, right? Just because that's what they practice and that's Mm -hmm. what they're efficient at. Um, if you get like, you know, somebody who's really strong and has spent uh, like tons and tons of time, you know, doing, doing just single rep, you know, one rep max or five rep max or whatever it is, like they're probably going to be a lot better at not occluding compared to somebody who's just like, I'm just going to muscle it and deal with it there mm-hmm. or gymnasts, right? The people who have, have gymnastics backgrounds, Danielle Brandon being one of them, she just crushes, like absolutely crushes everybody. Carrie Pierce was another example, right? She would just crush everybody at all gymnastics movements. And that's probably because of the coordination and the efficiency that is built yeah. into that. So once you establish that, then like you were saying, then you can start to say, okay, well now we need to work on like the metabolic aspects of things. And this is where things like VO2 max and mm. threshold come in. And something that I've always kind of thought about is that, you know, CrossFit's an endurance sport that has a high prerequisite mm-hmm. for strength. You essentially need to be able to back squat almost 500 pounds, deadlift almost 500 pounds. Like it's 500 yeah. club <laughs> everywhere, right? You just got to be strong yeah. as shit. And, but you also have to have, you know, your, say your, your threshold weight, right? The weight that you could pretty much deadlift or squat for forever mm-hmm. be pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like it needs to be like 225, 245 in some instances, like when athletes mm-hmm. are getting stronger or since athletes are getting stronger. And, you know, so, so that requires then having 
the ability to contract and relax. And then on top of that, that's really going to dictate where that second threshold is within your, your, your skeletal muscle, right? Because if you can do most of that work by only recruiting your say type one fibers, your type one fibers are a lot more efficient. They're a lot more, a lot less fatigue resistant or more fatigue resistant, excuse me. And, you know, they're not going to rely on a lot of glycolysis. It's a lot of fat and glucose, but your type two fibers are the ones that are really like lots of carbohydrates. So, so it kind of follows, it's like efficiency first, your, your second threshold is kind of going to follow that. And then VO two max is really going to dictate like what the ceiling of, of that Mm -hmm. potential is. So by having a big VO two max, like, like Rich Froning has been talked about having a VO two max of like 74 and a half, which is if you're comparing that to elite level endurance athletes, that's like, he has a similar VO two max as somebody who could, who would be qualified as like an elite mm-hmm. level marathoner or like mm-hmm. an elite level rower. doesn't make him an elite level mm-hmm. marathoner or a rower. Um, that is one thing that Chris Henshaw did on the, uh, he was just saying something. He was like, Oh, Rich Froning has a, a VO two max of 74.5. Therefore he could run a two fifteen marathon if he really <laughs> wanted to like these guys who no, I'm no. like, no, cause yeah. his efficiency uh, is trash, yeah. right? Like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying his efficiency is trash. Like, like in like loosely because it's still better than a lot of other crossfitters. Like he's still a fast runner for a crossfitter, but at what, what does he weigh? Like 195, yeah, 200 like, pounds. Yeah, 195, yeah. So like, so there, there is no way that he is going to be as efficient as the 140 yeah. pound, you know, Kenyan marathon runner who's been running a hundred miles a week for the last 10 100%. years of his life. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's really going to affect your, your ability to, to mm-hmm. output speed, mm-hmm. you know, in, in mechanical force, especially in terms of running, but you get that, you get rich Froning in with, with a bunch of other CrossFitters who are pretty similar, that VO two max is going to pay dividends because he's going to be able mm-hmm. to recover faster because his ability to use oxygen and take it in and actually utilize it is it, it might not be super important for the actual workout but it's going to be super important for the recovery between mm-hmm. rounds or, you know, between different mm-hmm. movements. Right. Um, because he's just able to get more oxygen mm-hmm. to his muscle by getting more oxygen to your muscle. You're going to be able to resynthesize ATP, which is the energy currency of the mm-hmm. cell a lot faster. And from that, then you'll be able to replenish, say like creatine stores, spare your glycolytic stores a little bit more, and, you know, then it's kind of just like, mm-hmm. it just adds up and compounds mm-hmm. over time. Right. Especially when you have to do five days worth of, of yeah. competition, that aerobic capacity, that ability to recover between workouts, between, uh, sets adds up like over a long period of time. Same thing with Matt Fraser. Like I can almost guarantee like the fact that Matt Fraser was just stayed constant you know, his entire, his entire time didn't really have much performance fall off. He probably had a fairly high VO two max and was super efficient with his movements. So he was able to recover to a greater extent than a lot of these other athletes who, you know, like admittedly, when you go to the games and you're, you know, kind of like a little bit lower tier, you're like, okay, I got something to prove. I got to stay around. I got to be, be here for the cuts and stuff. So you're going to probably be pushing a little bit more than that, you know, mm-hmm. second threshold, that, that boundary for sustainable and unsustainable. And then every time you push into that unsustainable place, 
you're going to be digging into those, those, those stores of, of it, you know, the, the, the performance uh-huh. stores a little bit more and not able to yeah. recover. And it's afterwards. interesting. You mentioned like just uh, tissue quality and tissue type. And that's what, uh, again, there, there's outliers, but I generally find that people that are more type two fast twitch dominant uh, tissue type, they really struggle in CrossFit. Whereas this people that are more type one, which is a little bit more malleable, uh, you know, a little bit bigger tissue quality, it, they're generally a lot better at CrossFit. But people that have these fast twitch, a, a lot more dominant with fast twitch muscle fibers, it's really, really hard to get them good at CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, going back to efficiency of movement, right? If you're, if you're always going like, all out in terms of contraction, you're creating occlusions. You're cutting off the blood flow to, you know, to the muscle, you're cutting off nutrients, getting to the muscle. And if that's happening every single time you contract, even at 30% of your one rep max, like if you're say, for example, if you're doing wall balls and you're just contracting a hundred percent each time, then, you know, eventually you're, you're going to just run out of steam. Whereas the, the individuals like, um, I, I always, like to hear about like uh mm. Katrin Davis' daughter, for example. They're like, oh well, mm. she's not that strong, but she can do like 90% of her one rep max for yeah. for eons. It's like she's probably pretty type mm-hmm. one dominant then. Um, you know, and and I think I think women have a tendency to be a mm. little bit more type mm. one dominant compared to men. Um, but you can also just like look at individuals too and be like, okay, you know, these uh. these guys hold a lot more, or these guys or these girls mm-hmm. hold a lot more mm-hmm. muscle mass. So that's probably going to shift in, in how much they're actually, how strongly they're contracting. And I think, uh, Evan Pycon talked mm. about that quite a bit is like individuals who are generally pretty large have cardiovascular, mm. uh, limitations. Whereas individuals who are a little bit like, you know, mm-hmm. they look thinner, you know, like kind of like the mm-hmm. Brent Fikowski's of the world are a little bit more mm. pulmonary limited because he's not contracting to a point where he's cutting off like blood flow mm. to the working muscle he's just having a tough time getting mm-hmm. enough, <laughs> enough air and gas exchange uh-huh. to and from the yeah. working muscle. Yeah, that's, that's good so, stuff. And I, I think that that's what, that's what makes CrossFit yeah. uh, just so unique and, and within what it takes to be good is I find that, or I, I shouldn't say to be good, I should say to be great. I, I find that you can be good at CrossFit if you're really, really strong. And you can be good at CrossFit if you have a really good back uh, endurance background. But what makes you great in the next mm-hmm. level is having some of both of those. And that's what makes it tricky is, mm-hmm. is these, the people that are really, really strong are going to be more type 2, good contractile force. Like, and that provides a lot of value and, and strength. But it doesn't really help with the endurance stuff. And that's where endurance athletes are going to be uh, more type 1, maybe not – be as strong and have as much contractile force, uh, but they can go for long durations. Mm -hmm. And I see people that come in with a profile Mm -hmm. that's really heavy dominant in one or the other, and it can make them good in the sport. But the people that are great, it's like they're able to have uh, both of them really. Yeah. Yeah. You really do, you know, to have high CrossFit success, you have to be uh, a jack of all trades. There's, there's no way around it. And that's why I, you know, that's why I always say is like CrossFit is an endurance sport with a, with a very Mm -hmm. high strength prerequisite. Like you just have to be able to be super, super strong and, but also have the endurance to back it up. And it it just, 
that just takes a really, really long time to actually be able to develop that. Um, it, it's possible. There are, you know, there are people that do it. And I mean, look at, look at the best games athletes in the world. You know, they're the ones that are, have, have been able to balance those out. I guess that, you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Adler is actually mm-hmm. a perfect example of that. He was the type of individual who was like always winning the strength events, you know, like two, three years ago. And now, and I, I don't, I, it, I would love to just ask him like mm-hmm. how his, how mm-hmm. his training has kind of changed. But like, I imagine he's probably doing a lot more efficiency, endurance focus on, you know, like whatever it is, you know, he wasn't good at and hadn't developed. Um, and, and, you know, now yeah. it obviously showed cause he won, uh, this year, but it's like, it's like, so, so for example, if I, if I was to go back and start CrossFit over again, what I would really want to do personally is I would, man, I, I would do almost every single workout, probably either mm-hmm. with a barbell or, you know, if we're doing like power lifting or, or Olympic lifting, whatever with a broomstick and just practice, practice, mm-hmm. practice good form. And I know that's like counterintuitive because you're like, well, if I'm just lifting a broomstick, I'm not actually going to get better at stuff. It's like maybe not from a weight perspective, but from an efficiency perspective, if you master that movement first, then as you start to add weight, then it's, it's not going to be as taxing. You're not going to be quote unquote muscling it. So your risk of injury is going to be lower. So then you can start to build again, that consistency at higher and higher weights, becoming more efficient and then it's truly a, me- and then once you're efficient at it, then it, then it truly is a metabolic stimulus rather than a, you know, say strength stimulus. Obviously there's times and places for say hypertrophy training, strength training, other things like that, especially, you know, if you're, if your prerequisite strength is too low, but I think if you're, if we're talking about, you know, in terms of developing those, those predictors of endurance performance, it would start with the efficiency side of things you know, that could be a block of just like gymnastics stuff and just getting really, really good at, at high rep gymnastics. But that requires you to reduce the the complexity yeah. of the movement, right? Like you can't just go and do like handstand pushups to be yeah. able to, to get better at that. You have to, yeah. um, you know, reduce to mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. To something yeah. Easier. And that's what I think. And, and I don't even know if I have the, the, the right recipe yet, but as a, uh, progressed in my coaching is it's trying to find a way to uh, it's just having this understanding and appreciation for moving movement efficiency and not only just for like longevity of movement but what's mm-hmm. that what actually that does on a physiological standpoint to someone's performance so finding a way to have space to improve uh coordination and movement and efficiency but also make sure we're training because it's like you were kind of hinting on in order to improve movement efficiency and coordination, it's not really going to align very well with uh, improving performance in the long term. It will uh, uh, improve performance, but the, but generally like to improve coordination and movement efficiency, it has to be, uh, a lot lower intensity, a lot more dialed back. You can't really be training. It has to be a lot more intentional. Mm -hmm. And then even when we look at, you know, one thing that's been instilled in me from some of my mentors is just like uh, looking at the nervous system and how when you're wanting to build coordination and you're wanting to improve movement efficiency, it's like the nervous system has to be fresh in order to be able to retain that and make that happen. 
So if I'm hammering people Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Mm -hmm. and then they come in Thursday and we try to do a lot of like coordination, movement efficiency stuff, it's going to be very hard for them, one, to get it down just because of the stress on the nervous system, but then Mm -hmm. also their body adapting and then maintaining the things that we worked on moving forward. It makes it very difficult. And then on top of that, there's this lens of like, Mm -hmm. when you have an athlete, they obviously want to feel like they're doing something. And when you have crossfitters who are like ready, just like you're having to hold them back pretty much. It's like telling them you're going to do some like jumps right. with pats and shoulder taps. It's like, they're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> so it makes it to where yeah. that movement efficiency and coordination is like, it's such a hard thing to work on just because of what's required to get better at it the effect that it has on performance Mm -hmm. and then the mental state that that can instill in an athlete is the like where their training is and what they're doing. There's so many components that make it such a hard thing. And and, and for the most people that aren't really educated on performance physiology, it's like that a lot of people don't see that is like, why is that important? Like, no, no, no. If I can just work really hard or push really hard or just continue lifting heavy, that's how I'm going to get better. And I see people who don't have the coordination and don't have the, the movement efficiency that it doesn't matter how much they train. That's the one piece that's keeping them right. from being able to reach their fullest potential. So it's like, how do you give that stuff? Well, and, and this kind of just brings up, like, I really do believe there's a piece of people that are, this is just like the genetic aspect of things. And people who are really good at CrossFit are really good at any sport. There's just this natural born ability that comes into play that, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. everything, but it's like when someone comes in and they're just an athlete and they naturally have that, they're going to progress so much faster than somebody who doesn't. And you're having to try and like go back and do those things because that's what I've realized is like whether it's barbell cycling or it's gymnastic stuff, like people who have a background in that, like Matt Fraser, Daniel Brandon, they're obviously going to have a head up above other people. But I've found if people just come in and they just have these, this more like true athletic potential and they have this understanding of like how to mm-hmm. contract and relax and how, like they can pick those things up really easy and make it enough so they can be at, the, at, a, at a really high level with them. Um, so it kind of just circles back yeah. to how important, what seems not that important probably to the average, average person is like really such a big piece around performance and has an impact on every aspect of CrossFit is just like, what is your, what I'll call is like athletic ability or athletic potential. And that's like coordination, movement efficiency. Yeah. How quick can you pick things up? Like it's huge. It, it plays such a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's, there is certainly, you know, genetic factors that go into being an elite level performer, right? You know, like there, there are some people like myself included, like who are just not born with the, uh, the genetic potential to be an elite, elite level athlete, but with practice with, you know, uh, proper consistency, those sort of things, it is possible to hit your, you know, sort of genetic potential. Right. I think, and I think, you know, for the wellness side of things, I think that's what you should be aiming for, for the performance side of things also should be aiming for. You just sometimes have to be hyper-realistic with like, am I doing everything I can? And is everything I can be doing, is that going to lead to 
you know, do I have the genetic potential eventually mm-hmm. to, to be that, that good? Um, mm-hmm. cause some people it's just not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing before I let you go, I wanted to like, when we're describing like this efficiency economy sort of thing, this kind of like is, mm-hmm. is kind of like the zone two training, right? So zone two training for, mm-hmm. you know, like biking, running, whatever it is, that's just going to get you tons and tons of reps. Similar sort of thing with like strength training, right? If you're doing quote unquote mm-hmm. zone two Olympic lifting with a broom handle or something like that, that's also going to instill a lot, you know, like more increases to, to economy. So maybe that's kind of like, maybe that's a little bit more the key is like, you know, you, you could reduce somebody's intense sessions to, mm-hmm. you know, two or three times a week or, you know, like mm-hmm. once, once a day, right. If they're really good at, at recovering, but then you have multiple sessions where they're just coming in, they're doing like 50 to 60% mm-hmm. of like one rep max. Cause that's how, mm-hmm. that's how they do it. in like the Olympic lifting circles is like, mm-hmm. they're hardly yeah. ever going to max. And look at those guys. Like they're, yeah. they're getting a ton of volume. They're super efficient, all of that. So maybe it's just, you know, this, the zone two isn't, isn't magical. It's just mm-hmm. the, the, the benefits of it is that you accumulate very low fatigue. You can potentially recover mm-hmm. from it mm-hmm. and you're building your efficiency at the same time. And maybe we could apply that to mm-hmm. other things like the gymnastic side of things in CrossFit, the strength side of things in CrossFit, mm-hmm. the Olympic lifting side of things in CrossFit, or the monostructural mm-hmm. things in CrossFit if you're really bad at them, right? You just got to pick what what discipline you're bad at yeah. and then Love and that. then go from there. Yeah, cool. I think uh, I think we'll we'll stop right there because I think Andy has a, a client he's got to run to. But um, you can find uh, Andy where can where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, Andy St. Germain, just my full name, S-T period, G-E-R-M-A-I-N. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, he'll be linked in the show notes and everything like that. If you have any questions for me, shoot me a DM on Instagram at critical02. Uh, if, you're in the, in, if you're in the YouTube, if you're on YouTube watching this, uh, leave a comment down below uh, and we'll catch you guys in the next one.